You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 124. On today's show, I chat with the founder of Theater Art Life, Anna Robb. We talk about how to start a theater website, the team required to maintain that site, challenges of publishing media in China, the financial viability of the six plus years that Theater Art Life has been in operation, collaborations involving content exchanged for advertisements, and the importance of mentors for different areas of the business. This is the last of our episodes that we recorded at LDI in Las Vegas. We partnered with Ayrton Digital Lighting to record these interviews. We could not have asked for a better partner. If you watch this on YouTube, you can see our artistic finance step and repeat that was paid for with our Patreon funds. Thank you, patrons, for supporting me and supporting the show and letting us get such an awesome marketing tool. I got to tell you, we're looking pretty official over here at Artistic Finance. I will admit that this conversation with Anna is something that I've been wanting to do. What Anna has established with Theater Art Life is very impressive, and not the least of which is how she has made it a global theater site. My future plans for artistic finance involve it becoming more like theater art life. I use this time to ask questions that will allow artistic finance to grow and continue to generate new content that's useful to freelancers in the entertainment industry, but also how it can become a system that's able to sustain itself financially. If you have an idea for a side hustle or if you're trying to get a passion project up on its feet, This is a great interview to listen to because Anna is somebody who has successfully run a huge project for six years while having a full-time job, while having a family, and theater art life is gaining more and more traction each day. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and we're recording this November 18th, 2022 from LDI. And I have with me today, Anna Robb. So welcome, Anna. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. First things first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'm originally from Australia, and I have grown up being a production stage manager historically, um, but moved into producing and uh, and uh, those sort of projects throughout my career. I've been very fortunate to live on four continents. So I lived in America for a couple of years. I lived in Canada. I've lived in Belgium, I've lived in the UK, and I've lived in uh, Asia, and I'm currently residing in Asia, where I've been for about 13 years. Been fortunate to work in so many countries across the world, actually, so um, in different cultures and different demographics of people, and then even within a company, um, a company with multiple cultures. So on some of the circus shows that I've worked with, I've had 30 different cultures in the one company. So it's been a very, very eclectic career, um, and now... Currently, I've recently stepped into the COO role at Dragon Company uh, here in Las Vegas. So you're still in Asia. Where in Asia? I'm in Hong Kong. Because I'm linked in with you, and I follow Theatre Art Life, and for some reason, I just assumed you were in London. 
Right. Not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, so that's fantastic. So now you're working for Dragon based in Las Vegas, but you're not. I'm not currently there. I mean, we do work pr- globally so uh, at the moment, but the family is still quite entrenched there. So, yeah. it, you know, we may be moving to Vegas at some point, but at this, at this point we're, we're still getting set up here post-pandemic in Las Vegas, uh, uh, yeah, since yeah. 2020. All that. Um, okay, so uh, your creative and financial personalities, creative first. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? Oh wow! Okay, that's a great question. Um, I like to I like to see concerts, but I, I'm not much of an audience member generally. Personally, uh, it is very difficult for me to see a live entertainment show and just watch it for what it is. Uh, <laughs> so I would like to, when I see a concert or a show, I like to be in the lighting booth or watching it from backstage or those sort of things. So that's kind of the way that I like to experience live entertainment because it's, yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to disconnect. And I've always been so much of a part of how it's been run and how it's been produced that just being an audience member is very difficult. But I'm, I'm, I'd say a concert goer is my is kind of like the biggest leap because I don't work in the concert industry right so that's the easiest one for me to tune into I guess 100% and for me I found that like I like going to see theater if I'm like front and center Mm -hmm. or like because then it's like I can just focus in on the actor and I don't really look at all the other stuff Mm -hmm. but it's like if I'm sitting anywhere else it's like yeah it's like hard to disconnect (laughs) looking at the lighting it's like oh I see a kabuki curtain like we we all know what's gonna be happening how did they do that (laughs) amazing all right so now your financial personality are you good or bad with money I would probably say that uh, I'm good with money. And the reason being is I'm just not a person that spends a lot of money. um, I've been fortunate enough to never be wealthy, but I would say that I've always had enough money to do what I've wanted to do. And I think that's a very fortunate situation to be in. And that means in wherever I've been in the world. And I think when I first left university, I had to be very thrifty with my money because I wasn't earning that much. Um, but I've always lived within my means. And, uh, you know, I think something that my parents taught me was to, you know, not go into huge amounts of debt and that a credit card was the money that you didn't have, right? And so I always had a very had strong discipline in, in uh, getting debt free as quickly as possible. And uh, so I'd say, yeah, pretty healthy. That's wonderful. And not like that, that's all like basic advice that is so good and so true, but it's also so hard to to actually implement. <laughs> but it's uh, it's so refreshing. And also you've you said you started a stage management. You've been working for Dragon for several years, so that's been a steady paycheck, right? Uh, not necessarily. So I did I did for a period of time when we built the show in Macau, I had a steady paycheck, but I went back to freelance in 2017. And I've only, and then I was basically freelance for about 5 years through the pandemic, which was really rough. And um and then I've come back full-time at the start of this year. So I've I've gone and swung from full-time wages to freelance throughout my career and it's been very different situation from And also the other thing I want to say about this is which is really interesting is that a lot of the time when you do education uh, in tertiary education, no matter where you are in the world and you learn arts or stage management or theatrical practices, they don't often teach you about how to be a business. And, um, and so you have to learn by <laughs> attrition, right? Or somebody teaches you or your parents teach you. Um, and I think that's a, a little bit of a failing because a lot of the time when you step out into the industry, you are a business. When you're a freelancer, you're a business. And if you don't have any of the tools about how to do a tax return or how to manage your finances or what you should be charging or all of that, then you really start on the back foot, you know? And I think a lot of people do that. I just 
didn't spend money. That was kind of my survival technique. And um, and then gradually my my salary increased over the years, so I was able to be more assertive with how I managed it. And since you've been freelancing, um, do you treat yourself as a business or because you've gone back between steady and not, or have you just been very good with budgeting and handled it sort of that way? I would say I treat myself as a business, yeah. I, I really, you have to be quite, um, the problem with being freelance, you always have this scarcity mindset, right? So you're always trying to take all the jobs you can to have as much income. And I have two children as well. Um, I think it was a little bit easier being freelance the second time around because my husband had a full-time job. It didn't mean that, he could cover all of our expenses it just meant that there was a little bit of a somewhat consistent salary coming into the the family and I had to supplement that with my freelance work and make sure that we covered the costs that we had yeah well that's a global thing is that children are expensive (laughs) that's totally true (laughs) my goodness (laughs) it doesn't matter if you have a double income house or even a triple income house which doesn't exist but even if you did like the children are still going to be expensive absolutely right (laughs) Um, okay so I your creative uh, career is impressive and amazing and I'd love to talk about it however there's other podcasts that are focused on that. I actually am fascinated by theater art life that you created. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually what I want to focus on here. And selfishly, the reason I want to focus on it is theater art life started the same time artistic finance started. And I'm like a one person operation. I do everything. In fact, you had to wait for 10 minutes as we got these microphones set up. (laughs) I I was talking with Josh, like, I don't know what the input is. (laughs) I love it. Um, So first off, I follow it. I listen to the podcast. I do all of it. I think it's a great resource. And I'm myself, I'm actually like a contributor. I've written a couple blog posts for theater art life. And I love that it's global because Mm -hmm. mine is very US based and the people I talk to tend to be well, you're an exception, but (laughs) U.S.-based people. Um, So I love that it's global because the finance and arts thing is a global thing as well. It's like any person I've talked to from any country, it struggles with the finances or like that's a big part of living and living an artistic life. So theater art life for people who don't know, what is it? Well, Theatre Art Life is what I claim it to be, is like a global uh, site for entertainment professionals. And the inception of the idea was um, I have worked all around the world and I found such a commonality of people who work in the arts in terms of their ethos and their dedication and their passion for the job. And although we may have different cultural um, identities and we come from different backgrounds and we and we live and breathe in different ways around the world, there's something that's quite beautiful that unites us when you work in the arts. And, and, I, and I was very driven by that. And I think also the second thing that I wanted to start it was because I was a little bit tired of reading media that just talked about the spotlight on the person in the spotlight, the stars on the show, or people would talk about how great a show was and you know it wasn't a great show, you know. And, and so I wanted to get real talk. Like I wanted people to talk about their struggles. I wanted people to talk about their finances. I wanted to talk, people to talk about how they worked in this country or what difficulties they felt. And let's be real about what we do because it's a really tough industry to be in. And, um, and I wanted some more realness about it. So that was the inception and I literally, when you talk about a one-man band, I called up 50 of my friends and say, said, please write three articles, I'm starting a website. Like, that was literally the beginning of it. Um, and it's evolved. The good thing about it, I think, is for me, I've never been precious about what it was supposed to be. I've 
I had the initial idea and I've let the market and the people tell me where they want it to go and I evolve with it. Um, so now it is a space where we have a podcast, we've run webinars during the pandemic, educational webinars, um, we've, we, we write articles and, um, and, and we've got other initiatives in the works and things like that. But as you know, I have a full-time job as well. So it's this, it's this passion project turned into a business. I have a small team. Um, I've got about five people within the company that are content producers, um, my assistant, and um, and these people are all around the world. We work remotely, and I just love them. They're so dedicated. I have a sound engineer, thankfully, so they can edit my, my podcast. Um, and and these people do some, you know, some part-time um, work with us and, and, and keep it running for me. So it's, it's just a it, – I'm really – I'm really glad that when after I started it, my life became even more richer because I meet people like yourself and I meet people around the world and I read their content and I just, the network of, I already had a big network globally and now Theatre Art Life has enriched that so much more and it's been a wonderful gift for me. Yeah, that is amazing. And you've answered a lot of the questions I was going to ask already. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the emailing, you know, to talking to 50 of your friends and saying, write three articles. I think that's brilliant because I've, and why I'm so fascinated about this is I've sort of wanted artistic finance to be a little more of a resource. And I found that we can answer any financial question anybody throws at us, Mm -hmm. but we don't have like the articles there and available for people to be like, oh, what is an LLC? You know, Mm -hmm. you have to go to NerdWallet or these other sites. And I'm like, no, I need one written by the creative people who did it versus Mm -hmm. the, you know, finance people or the (laughs) the bankers or whatever it is. So, Having people write articles and starting that way. Also, you have a co-founder. Mm-hmm. So how did that work? Because that's like you have double the people already. Yeah. <laughs> so like how did it go from from one person to two people? And then how have you well, worked it, that out? It, that didn't work out. So <laughs> um, and that's a great lesson for, for both of us. You know, we, we were we're, we're good friends. But um, and, and the person that I co-founded the, 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 the company with had much more of a marketing background and and, and was a great person because I'm like, I knew nothing about websites. I knew nothing about marketing. I knew nothing about advertising. I mean, I started from nothing, you know. Now what I know about the back end of a WordPress site, it's it's been amazing. I'm hard work, but it's amazing. Um, And so uh, we were in China together and so we decided to start this, um, the business, and she was super helpful in the evolution of, how to set up our brand and how to, to to sort of put it out there and all of that sort of stuff. After about a year, um, our life circumstances changed and she moved back to the States um, and she had um, less time to dedicate to the project. And w- sometimes with co-founders, when you're 50-50 in a business and, and suddenly you're putting in 80% of the work and the other person's putting in 20, it doesn't make any sense anymore. And so we had that conversation and said, look, this is not – I'm here to – I'm here to, for the long haul and, and, and if you're not going to sort of meet me halfway on that, then we have to reconsider our relationship on that. So um, that's when she's still got, you know, like a, a part of the business in, in a sense, but the but she's not an active member. I'm the managing director of it, so I make all of the decisions on, on where we are with that. But I have to say, despite all that circumstances, the, the product would not be here without her and she was a, a, a fundamental part of... Um, the the founding of this 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 business, and and I'm very thankful for that. And I think that what I've learned in that situation, you know, when you're starting a business, 
often this happens and people are very naive about, you know, you don't know about shareholding and, and, and splits and all of these sort of things if you've never been taught it. And you're like, oh, nothing will go wrong with like this. It's not. But then we had to have those tough conversations. And, and those are some of the challenges, as you might be aware, of running a business. You, you over, have to overcome many hurdles as you keep a, keep a especially a project that, or a company in the arts because we're not a – we're not a wealthy industry generally, right? Yeah, yep, 100%. Um, so did you either before or after that break, but when you started, did you create a business plan or did you talk to like a coach or something about like, hey, this is what we want to form and like, let's make a game plan for it? I mean, we, got, we did some research and we got advice from a lawyer about how to set it up and all of that sort of stuff. But it was very rudimentary because, you know, it was just about how we're going to get started the business, where are we going to register it, what, what kind of share um, sort of split would it be as in terms of authority and that sort of thing. Um, and it, I don't think it was really done with the depth and breadth of – but you have to learn through, through, through it. You know, like if I was to do it again – I would know very clearly how I would want to set that up. Um, but you have to learn it. Sometimes you have to, you know, learn it by doing it. And, and we've done that now. So <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Also, I find it interesting because I sort of always tell people that, like, start with the work and doing it and starting and then figure out the business plan afterwards. Like, if, if, it, if it's going in the right direction, then be like, oh, okay, I have to get serious about this. But it sounds like you're very organized and you did the business plan or at least the idea first and then started working on it is that true yeah I mean I'm a very methodical person and I like to know I had to put a significant amount of investment to get the website and the design done and 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 most of that was my investment so if if I'm going to put my money where my mouth is I want to know like that it's serious and 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 that that it's going to work out for to a certain extent. Of course, when you start a business, you have to be willing to take a loss, and 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 that's the risk you take, right? Like, I didn't know if this would be sustainable over a long term. I was doing it on a whim, but creatively, I was because I'd been on a show for five or six years. I had felt that my growth and passion within the show that I was working on had was waning, and I needed to put my love and attention into something else. And so that's when I decided to to start this um, to sort of fulfil that need. I'd spent a lot of time of my career working 16 hours a day for other people's creations, you know, as a production, creating other people's things, making other things a reality. And I had asked myself, what if I took back six or eight hours to myself and do something for me, as opposed to putting it all into other people's creations. And so that's what, that was sort of that impetus for me to make that shift and, and build something of my own. Yeah. And I want to talk about the finances a little bit more later, Mm -hmm. but I want to talk about time management because you've mentioned you have a small team with content creators and contributors and that, but you have two children, (laughs) you have a full-time job (laughs) and you're running Theater Art Life. And I I see you post on LinkedIn about like something on Theater Art Life, like 10 times a day Mm -hmm. or something. And I'm always just like, how is this possible? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm just wondering, so even though it's not your full-time thing, you still do put a lot of time into it. How do you manage that? It's a great question. And I have to thank my husband for that because he he lets me have my Sunday morning so he can hang with the kids. I, you know, I, 
I'm a, again, like I'm a very systems orientated person. So I've, I've got the, my assistant does a lot of that posting. We set the plans. I do a lot of approving of the things and she does all the setup and she prepares the newsletter and all of that. And I offer guidance and that sort of thing. The content producers have their, um, have their marching orders to, we publish every day. So we publish, that's, that's the rule of thumb. And I say that quite casually, but I have to tell you over the years since Theatre Art Life, there's been mornings I've woken up and I've not had an article to publish and I've had to do it but here's the thing for me I've always there's something about people who work in the arts and I've always been a person that's run shows literally run shows so at five o'clock or at seven o'clock or eight o'clock you're dropping everything that you do in a day and you go and run a show right so my brain is wired for delivery so I feel like some part of me now that I don't do a day-to-day show and I'm a CEO and I'm an organizer theater out life delivery of an article every day is like my drop everything and make something happen. It's a replacement for that show run. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, 100%. So it, I am – and it fulfills me in that way too. I have a deadline, something needs to get published or, we've, you know, it's always scheduled or whatever, but but it's it's got to be there. And I have to say there's been times where I've been very thin on the down, ground with content producers or whatever and I've literally had to wake up in the morning and go, I need to have an article written, published and done today and some point in my day I need to do it. But the thing that happens over time when you um, set up systems and stuff, you become very efficient, right? As you start a company, you're finding your feet and things take a long time or whatever. And over time, those systems become more and more tighter and more and more efficient. And so it takes less time. Do you know what I mean? You know all the shortcuts. You know how I can prep an article in 10, 15 minutes and it's done. You know, I don't do that much anymore, but if I had to, but I am constantly, I like to stay relevant in the industry and I like to t- stay in touch with it, all the content that goes through it. So I do read everything that comes, I do read seven articles a week and I'm making sure that that, that is going out onto the, onto the site and, and gets published. So my time management is very, very efficient, but I do, I won't lie, I work a lot. And I think the other thing that helps me as a parent um, is that I live in Asia. And one of the big things with Asia is that there is affordable childcare in Asia, and I have a wonderful Filipino um, uh, helper who helps me manage the household, helps me do the grocery shopping, helps do all of the household management that allows me to have the space to manage theatre art life and be part of uh, the Dragon Company. So I, I'd have to really acknowledge that's a huge portion of me being able to have. I'm not Superwoman, so um, for me to be have the bandwidth to do the things that I do. Yeah, and also just about Dragon. Is that more like a nine to five or are you managing project? Like, do you have 16 hour days still for that, you know, every once <laughs> Considering in a while? I was texting somebody at 4 a.m. this morning. No, it is not a nine to five. <laughs> I love that job. I love working for Dragon. I love the freedom of that company. I love our ambition and we're audacious and I love that. And um, I just have a, I have a high work capacity and, and so I, I, I'm happy to do it. It's not a nine to five, but I do have flexibility in, you know, in my days and, and that sort of thing. So I, you know, if I'm on the phone from seven till four o'clock and then I'm p- hanging out with my kids for three hours and then once they've gone to bed, I'll be back at it for uh, another few hours before I sleep or something like that. So Yeah, amazing. Okay, you're not superwoman, but you're sort of like superwoman. No, but I'm also a person that doesn't like to watch Netflix and, you know, I'm not a person that consumes stuff. 
I feel like there's people who, who create and there's people who consume. And I'm not much of a consumer. When you asked that first question that you said that, you know, what, what do you like to go watch? It's a really hard question for me to answer because I, I don't really consume stuff. I'm, I'm on the other side always producing it. Um, and I like that place. I don't, I don't feel the need to... I do watch TV, don't get me wrong. But I, it's very, like, I'll have a little series and I'll watch that at some point. Um, but it's not... I don't go home and sit on the couch and watch TV at night. That's not my... I'd rather read articles. Do you know what I mean? So I'm just not wired like that. All right. Well, another thing I love about Theatre Art Life that you alluded to earlier, but one, the globalness, but two is like here we have Broadway World and we have Playbill, but again, they're focused on like the performers. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love because you have performers and stuff on on Theatre Art Life as well, but it's really about like the lighting and the sound and the... To to me, or maybe that's at least what I take out. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you're reading. (laughs) But it's just like... But but it's like any... Like if if I... any designer is some there's an article or they're involved somehow yeah anybody in the industry that i know about i can look them up and they're probably connected to theater art life yeah somehow some yeah. way <laughs> yeah which is amazing huh yeah i mean it, it's, it's absolutely amazing and actually that's how i found out about it yeah. was you were on cory paddock's podcast correct yeah, yeah. and i mean this, that was a couple of years ago now but i was like oh what's this and i was like oh i see okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> taking a break from our wonderful interview to mention our patreon page You, the patron, will get access to the archive of previous outtakes and bonus content. You'll also receive early access to episodes, including next week's with health coach Claudia Hodgson. She specializes in fitness routines for backstage and offstage theater workers, aka people who work long hours. It's an eye-opening conversation and full of good reminders, things that we know, but also a lot of things I didn't know. Now, in addition to that early release, patrons are supporting me in the work that we're doing here at Artistic Finance. For nearly three years, we have been publishing conversations between artists in an attempt to break down that wall between art and finance. We've established ourselves as a resource for freelancers and artists to get any financial question answered. And thanks to the support of our patrons, we're also able to donate monthly to 30 artists and arts organizations. I would love to have your support in all this. And so if you're feeling up for it, you can sign up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. Thank you in advance. And now back to the show. Now I want to talk more about the finance a little bit. It is a business. Is your plan to have it profitable? Like, is it profitable? No. Will it be profitable? We cover costs. Um, and my, the team that works on the, the, sh- the, the business get paid. I have not yet taken my own paycheck um but it's been great to be able to even through the pandemic continue to support people um by by being able to pay them um but having said that it's always been my goal to make it a a profitable business and I have been collaborating with I have a lot of I've started to work with a lot of mentors I have somebody some people that uh, help me with sort of the social media marketing um aspect of it I've got somebody who helps me uh, ideate on on business models and recently I've been collaborating um with Battle Royal in Berlin which is a company that I've also worked for um and they have wonderful they did a lot of wonderful initiatives over the pandemic into the digital realm um and they're very innovative company and so we've been ideating on some ways to potentially um uh, expand theatre art life in some capacity and so it's just wonderful that the network that I have is very supportive and I do I'm not willing to give it up on on the fact that it isn't making money it pays for itself but it doesn't make me money I, I don't necessarily what's the word 
I, I, I'm not there to, I, I didn't make it to make money, but I would like to be easier, comfortable. So I'd like more cash flow in so I can ex- do the initiatives and expand the way I want to. And I'd like to be able to hire like a managing director because I have my own job and that sort of thing who could literally manage that and, and initiate all of those initiatives that I have. Um, that would be my goal. And, and I just need to find the, the way and the roadmap for that to happen. And um, that, that when I said I'm, I'm happy to see how it evolves, like what there's so many facets of the business that could take off and be more revenue generating. Um, and, I, and we test these things out and something, you know, we, we had a great time during the pandemic in terms of I ran a lot of free webinars, but we ran a few paid webinars and that, that brought in some decent cash and now we're working on a bit more um, sponsorship. We just got Clearcom to sponsor our podcast this year and so I'm really thankful for their support and it just, it's time and effort and that's, you know, if I can, you got to, I think there's that, that curve of if you can get over the mountain and you've got enough going on then you, you, it starts to snowball but we haven't got there yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, f- I feel like it's wonderful that you're covering costs right now because mm. um, I feel like that's a very good step to be at. Yeah. <laughs> you know, better, better than the you know, not covering costs. Um, and also, you said you had to put in investment to, to start with and of course, don't say anything you don't want to say. Yeah. But I know like for this podcast, it's mm-hmm. a very small scale, but I've put more than $10,000 into yeah. this show. And, and to get started, you, you could start a podcast for virtually zero, just technology cost. But it startup for me was like 2000 So I understand that just for something as small as artistic finance requires a lot of money. So I'm curious, when you started, yours was a much bigger endeavor than mine. How much money did you put into it yeah. uh, to start? Yeah, I think, well, when I had this d- discussion with my husband, you know, we <laughs> it's kind of all contextual, right? So we, we were living in Macau. We were paying a very low tax rate in Macau, like 4.5% tax rate. So we were doing um, well for a period of time. And during that time, he did a mechanical and electrical engineering degree um, online, which was very expensive and because uh, it was done out of the States and it, education is expensive here. And then we had wanted to do some investments in some properties in Australia just because, you know, we as international expat working people, I'm not sure where we would uh, collect social security in our future. So we need to figure out to have enough um, to take care of ourselves in the future. Should we want to retire somewhere? You know, so we did that. And then after that, I'd said, well, now it's my turn. I want to take some of the money that we have and and invest into this thing. And so I think my husband probably regrets that. But um, no, (laughs) he doesn't. He's very proud of me. But um, so all in all, with we wanted a very customized um, bespoke um, designed website so we we put some significance so I would say we had committed that we would etch out uh, up to thirty thousand dollars in into starting that and we definitely used all of that so (laughs) yeah Yeah, I understand I mean websites are expensive it's all very expensive yeah and the ongoing costs you know we were talking earlier I have Squadcast uh, all of the licenses for the plugins IT support all of these just ongoing PayPal all of the all of the intricate systems that sit behind a website and especially one like mine LearnDash which hosts our webinars and stuff like that um, which has far more capacity than I'm even using it but but all of these things cost money right so the ongoing IT costs so up a fair bit of the revenue that we get anyway just to keep it running and then it goes out to the content producers and my assistants and stuff i mean again anybody listening should check out theaterartlife.com to see what we're talking about but it is very professional very sleek and you can tell there's a lot of money into it (laughs) and so those ongoing costs are the at scale wise are they like five thousand a month one thousand a month 
No, I probably in terms of IT costs and all of that, I think we're probably looking about yeah yeah around eight hundred to a thousand dollars a month in 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 maintenance costs of the thing, and then we've got the salaries of the people on top of that. So, um, also you talked about housing in Australia. We had an uh, Australian economist on named Steve Keen, mm-hmm. and he said, "Yeah, you know, one of my claims to fame is that I predicted the housing bubble in Australia, etc." But just because I predicted it doesn't mean that I did anything like I didn't buy a house I didn't, <laughs> like I didn't profit from it so it did me absolutely no good <laughs> well also we profited in a way because um the exchange rate between the Macau patakas which was what we were paid in is pegged to the U.S. dollar and um the U.S. dollar compared to the Australian dollar at the time that we were transferring money to Australia we were earning 20, 25% on that. So we were also capitalising on the fact that we were earning foreign income and being able to do that. Having said that, I'm taxed as a foreign resident because I don't pay tax in Australia except for the properties that I have. So um, I'm considered a foreign, which is fair, so I'm not, I'm not complaining about it. I'm considered a foreign investor in Australia, even though I'm an Australian citizen. And is that a higher tax? Yes, it is yeah. a higher tax. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I do a lot of renovations, <laughs> claim yeah. it as a tax write-off. <laughs> also, so I listen to your podcast. I noticed that you have uh, sponsors on there. And I noticed you have sponsors on your website. And I, I don't have sponsors, um, except Ayrton is partnering w- with me this year for LDI. Um, but that's the only sort of sponsorship partnership I've ever done. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, how did you get sponsors for your podcast? <laughs> Hard work. You know, it's a lot of no's and and trying to convince people to... This is where I've always been the shyest because I'm not particularly wired as a marketer. I'm not a selling... I've been worked backstage all my life, Ethan. I just don't... It's not... It's been a huge growth curve for me to become this face of a business and then advocate for it because it's just never... I've never been the person standing at the room pitching something. It's just not my jam. Um, So I started by fostering relationships and a lot of the advertising that we have is not necessarily a monetary thing. It's an exchange thing. So we have... Because some of the arts institutions that I collaborate with also don't have any money. But if we give them advertising and they give me content and all of that, we have some quid pro quo kind of relationships. Then then when it comes to sponsorship, I was... Was like, look, with running the podcast, there are some external costs that are going to that is starting to cut into. We don't have the money; we're not getting the revenue to run this podcast. So that's when I was like, well, we're posting all the time on about our podcast. We can tag that company; they can be have an advertisement in the middle of that podcast, and they can have it. So let me go out to bat and try and get um, that. Now, first, fortunately, Harlequin Floors was the first one that joined us, and and they came on us for the came on the ride for the first year, and I'm super appreciative of that. And now we've got Clearclom, and 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 so, but it is a lot of reaching out, and I've and these. These companies we're we're affiliated through through our own work we're affiliated through um we, we produced i co-produced the epic conference at the start of the year with the broadway stage management symposium and there's a lot of um sponsorship we raised there so i learned from other people who know how to do that better than me um but it is there's nothing easy about raising sponsorship right because you've got to convince people that it's worth it and um and there's still not a lot of money to splash around when it comes to it exactly yeah it's the hard work that you know because for me it's like i actually you know we're providing valuable content and we're doing a good thing and people support us Mm. but i am working those 16 hour days and doing this in between that not 16 hours that i'm not doing that and it's like yeah yes seeking it out like i because i do have the relationships but it's like i need to 
I have to pitch it. Like yes. I have to market myself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm just too darn exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready. You know. But when the motivation is, oh my God, we're losing a lot of money if we don't, you know, and I don't want to let people down. Once I've decided to start the podcast, I enjoy the podcast. Sometimes I'm super tired when I get on uh, a podcast with somebody, but at the end of it, I'm always pumped because I just meet so many interesting people as you would experience. And it, and it really is such an invigorating thing. So when motivated by it, uh, you know, the need for cash to keep it going, I, I went to bat for it. So Yeah. Um, also, just on your website, this is a logistical thing, but I see like ads on there. Are those ads managed or like you're saying you exchange between companies? Are those ads from companies you've exchanged like content for? No. So, for example, for LDI, for example, um, we have an agreement, which we've done two years in a row, where we'll advertise LDI and we'll promote it and we run some podcasts, LDI specials. And then in, in uh, relation to that, um, we get some benefits from LDI. We get, we get free tickets. We also get um, some mail outs to their demographics and all of those sort of things to, to keep the, the spread out of, um, of theatre art life through the LDI network. So that, for me, is generally the collaborations that we have. We have another one with a company called Artist Strategy and um, we've we've done a lot with them and they write regularly very, very, very good quality um, articles on um, artists as a business and uh, I love their writing and um, so we've been collaborators and, and we just share... You know, my my ethos of the um, of the business is collaborate, not compete. And so, you know, even with you, we, we both have podcasts, but I'd rather collaborate. What you talk about is different than what I talk about, and I want to want people theatre at life to be the funnel to discover people like you and discover all of these networks and communities that sit together. And so that's where we um, do that kind of exchange. Yeah, I actually love that you mentioned that the not competing, but collaborating because yeah, I, there's no competition for me whatsoever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I can make it. And I sometimes joke that like the light talk podcast, I'm always like, I'm taking them down <laughs> 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 or Corey Paddock. I'll joke. I'll be like, did I get more downloads? Did you, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's all, it's all in fun because like there is, it's like, there's so much of a need for this because mm-hmm. it's like, we're all people like this conference. I actually don't know how many people go to LDI, but let's just say 4,000, mm-hmm. maybe it's more, but 4,000 is not a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like everybody in the United States or everybody in North America like knows about the LDI and knows what it is and comes here because there is no other place to go. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So it's like we are, even though we're like you're a global community, it's still such a small niche thing that, yeah, there's like no, there is no competition. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't think like there's just no room for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to see each other. We're going to run into each other. And and if anything, we can, you know, lift each other up in in our endeavors. And and I'm, I'm only too happy to see other people. To take it, take a stab at it, and then collaborate with me as well, and 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 bring grow that big community. I think my only like failing is it's still a very largely English based site, and so mm. I there are, when I say global, we are, but I it's it's hard work to get into China. It's hard work to get into this language thing. I've had a number of conversations because I'm in the region about developing, and it's still not off the cards, but pandemic. Um, shifted it a little bit but we've had conversations about making a, a Chinese version of it mm-hmm. and um, a, having a company across the border own and shift uh, translate all of that content over to there because I, I I do have ambition for it not to be exclusively English English based right um, and I'd really like to crack that ceiling at some point um, when I've got the funds to do so okay I love that I love that <laughs> um, so our our show actually I I don't strive as hard as you to be global, but we have an episode in Spanish. We have an episode in uh, Tagalog. 
We have an episode in Russian, nice. Portuguese, and they're just a lot of work for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't do them very often because I have to find a guest host or I have to sort of butcher through the language myself. It is a lot of work, yeah. <laughs> but I do it because I find it valuable. And actually, you're reminding me that I need to do more. It's been, it's been several months since we've done one. But yeah, but it, because again, it's the finance and the picture and theater and art and life. It's all, it's a global experience. And also China. So when I first started, I have some contacts in China and they wanted to listen. And my workaround for the podcast was there's a app called Himalaya mm-hmm. and I think that works in China but actually what they ended up doing was watching on YouTube right. they were able to do that and then they watch um, the subtitles yeah I guess so they speak English though so oh they speak English <laughs> oh okay but now you're reminding me I should do an episode in Chinese it's interesting because there's we have we let culture be a huge barrier or language be a huge barrier but if you do make the effort we did this webinar during the pandemic where we I had some colleagues or some you know contacts in China and I I said look let's try out a, a, pod, a webinar on stage management and I said look I won't I got my friend Gareth Hulance from Q2Q over in the UK and I said look we're going to have a translator as an is a stage manager who is Chinese who he'll translate and then you and I will talk about stage management. We went out into WeChat. The the I went out, and we I think we organised this webinar in like ten days. It was super quick, and I was like, I'll be happy if like ten people show up, you know. And um and we gave it over to our contacts in China, and they put it out on some networks, and 120 people showed up, and it was a great conversation. And they and I, sometimes because I've taught in China, Hong Kong and whatever, and sometimes from a cultural perspective, they're not very outspoken, or they're not going to put the hand up and answer a lot of questions like Westerners do. They just absorb and listen. And it was the opposite in this webinar and I was really shocked and I, just, I thought it was like it's totally a language thing because they, would be, they weren't shy to ask questions in Chinese and then him translate to us. And then we, it was a long webinar because it was going through translations. But I just felt very... Um, I was like, there's a market there, you know. We just have to figure out a way to infiltrate it and be consistent with it. But whenever you start to talk about something that has different languages, it costs more, there's more investment, and then there's a risk associated with that, right? So you're like, okay, I'm going to go into China, and then it falls flat on its face. You know, it's not something... You want to be strategic and smart and make sure that it is going to work. So I've been testing the waters while over the years that we've had Theatre Out Life. Nothing's landed that I've went, that's the opportunity that's going to work. Um, but I hope that it does at some point soon. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, and I'd love to collaborate with you on, on just maybe not your entire infiltration, but an episode or two, because how I manage it is I do an episode in English and then I'll pair it with an episode in the other language. Nice. And I'll either try to, if that person speaks English as well, I'll have them on the English episode. And if not, I'll, I'll, I'll make some sort of tie to be mm-hmm. like, okay, if you know, whatever language you speak, you can either enjoy one, the, <laughs> one other, or the other or both. You yeah. Know? yeah. No, um, that's awesome. <laughs> um, what has been, let's say your biggest challenge for theater art life. Like if you were going to start it again, what would you like tell yourself like this part is going to be hard so just make sure you're prepared for that I would say it's going to be 50 times the work you think it's going to be (laughs) it really has been so much work um so rewarding but I think if I had known how much work it would have taken and consumed my life I would have maybe second guessed it but I'm so glad I didn't um and then I think the challenges that I have is just because it's so constant for me still with me raising kids and, and other jobs, there's been moments in my life where I'm like, oh, I don't have time for this, you know. And so my, I'm a very highly motivated person, but I have to say there's been times where I've 
lost motivation. There's been times in the pandemic where I was like, actually, in the pandemic was a high point for Theatre Art Life because I, w- I didn't have a lot of work, so I could put my time and effort and I was connecting with people around the world. So that was good. But then post-pandemic and I was getting back to work and there was still that influx of people wanting to connect through Theatre Art Life and I didn't have the bandwidth. And and so that's been the hardest thing is um, riding the motivation of, of that. And I think that's for anybody who runs a business and or an entrepreneur in that sense is just like, you know, at what point will this become too much for me? And, 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 I've, and I've never had that point where I want to quit on it for sure. But will I? you know in another five years and I'm still not anywhere further than I am now is that going to be something that I still want to pursue I don't know okay well reversing that what's sort of been your highlight or your biggest payoff where you're like I'm I'm so glad I started this and I said it and this is something that maybe keeps happening and reminding you like oh yeah this is why theater art life is there I think at this point in my life with my job with Dragone and with Theatre Art Life, I just have this amazing, beautiful network of people and it's fed my work. You know, the costume designer on the show that we're currently doing for Dragone, I found when I interviewed him on my podcast, you know. And so it gives me access and a plug-in to the industry that I can bring into talented people into the company that I work for. And, and the great thing about Dragone is they don't have any issue with that being a side part of, of my existence and who I am. And if any way, if it makes sense, it's a very hard line to draw because obviously we don't want the Theatre Art Life brand to be associated with Dragone because then it, that might discourage other like like companies like Dragone to not want to be associated with us. So it's a very clear line of like Theatre Art Life's own business. But that doesn't stop me having talented people that I could from my own personal experience who I've connected through through Theatre Art Life to bring it into um, into the shows if I'm if I'm seeing and accessing talent through that, you know. I mean, I think, I think community is like the thing that everybody wants now. And I think with what you've done, so like if anyone's listening and they say, oh, I want to start a podcast or I want to start a, a group that gets together or something, I feel like you have a really great example of Theatre Art Life. It's global. You've done amazing work. You have um, this behemoth of resources i mean an article a day for three years is it's actually no we started in 2017 so oh my gosh five five years five years how yeah yeah <laughs> so an article a day for five years yeah. um is just this crazy amount and so like you you have created a community like you're you're for you it's a network yeah. but for everyone else you know there's this common thread of theater art life that people can meet and i think that's like the the key to anybody wanting to create something like this is the community it's mm-hmm. like how do you create the community and something you keep repeating is being consistent that's it i mean that's the only way it survived is is by sheer grit of keeping consistent with the output you know and and that's that's at times been really tough sometimes it's been super easy i've had a lot of content i can publish two in sometime during the pandemic i was i could publish two or three articles a day um and and when we have it we do it we put it out right so but um yeah no it's totally it's totally <laughs> true <laughs> um also the 80 20 rule so that says like 80 percent of your work is going to give you 20 percent of your results and 20 percent of your work is probably going to give you 80 percent of the results. And so how that works with artistic finance is I put 80% of my work into the podcast. And that gives me like 20% of my feedback, 20% of my patrons. Then we started a newsletter recently. And that's about 20% of our work. And yet the response has been like fantastic. We get more interaction with that. We get more patrons because of that. So for theater art life or for somebody that's going to maybe wants to start a project of their own that they're like, there's a need for this, and I want to do it. And I'm going to 
I'm going to be the next Anna Rob and create theater <laughs> art life. The 80-20 rule, is there like a 20% area they could focus on that might give them a, a better bang for their buck? I think it depends on what they're trying to put out there. But I think it's it, there's, there's a lot to be said for testing periods, right? And so what I'll do is if I'm trying a new initiative, I'll, I'll run it for a period of time. And if it doesn't work, it's like, okay, well, that's not working and I'll pull back on it, you know? So I'm putting like that extra 20% effort in or a 20% of my time and focus in on building or investing in something or some kind of initiative. And that doesn't mean to be a new product or anything. It'd be like, you know, maybe I'll go down and, and look at trying to get some more sponsored posts because that'll give us some some revenue that way. I tried some affiliate marketing for a while that didn't really land. And I didn't feel good about that because I just didn't want, I like advertising to be relevant to the industry. And I felt I've very been very passionate about that. I've made decisions about the business that has probably hindered its growth because I could have done more sponsored posts and blah, blah, blah than I have. I have a small sponsored post thing at the bottom um, where people do pay to post some of those things, but it's not it's not a major feature of the website. And so I've, I'm very protective about the brand and I think that does hinder me at some point. So I think you have to be a very... If you want to start something, you want to be very clear about what it is you want to put out to the world and... and, and, and um, and, and what's that motivation? Because it, if it is a monetary motivation, the choices that you might make might be different than what I'm making, right? So my growth has been slow because of my protection of the brand. And I'm okay with that. Um, but I think when it comes to what do we do and where, there's been many initiatives that I've tried that just bombed. And, and you've got to think about it from a global perspective. It's really hard because... If you're trying to get capture attention, say you've got artistic finance and you've got an American market, you can if you wanted to pay for paid advertising, you could target people in America, right? But I'm all the people everywhere all the time in all industries. Like that's a wide net. I can't target um, an audience um, for where I am. I have to slowly collect and, and slowly make people aware of the brand and make slowly make these communities and connections. And it's a very different business model than going out and paying paid marketing to target a UK audience or an Australian audience and all of those sort of things. And where I've failed most is when I've actually tried to do that because, first of all, it's not been in line with what my product is. And two, it's, just, it's not a targeted... I'm targeting the New York City area and I want you to follow Theatre Art Life. It's, it's a far more... I'm looking for people who are globally minded arts professionals who work around the world, who want to read and experience from cultures all around the world, not just in their local network. And so that's that's a big wide net that I have to try and try and fit. But to come back to your question is like going to um, testing, being very clear about what you want from your brand and what, what you will and will not compromise is the first thing and, and how consistent can you be on that and then um, and then test 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 yeah I think the motivation I, I'm sure anyone listening to this is probably money isn't their their highest motivation correct yeah <laughs> so anything they're gonna they're gonna start is, is not gonna be that because I think there's actually a lot of content for the business like if you want to start a business like you said you know you did research it's like that research is out there but trying to monetize or trying to create a business is different than creating something with a purpose that's ingrained with you that you want to push so, yeah. Um, is there anything else about theater art life that you want to talk about before we end this? 
Oh, um, just that people should check it out. It's something that I'm really proud of and um, I'm always looking for people who want to participate in some way, whether they want to be on the podcast, um, whether they want to write for us, whether they just want to say hi. Um, um, I'm always, you know, the door is open for people in the industry. So, you know, come on in and check it out. And, I, and I'll second that because I'm not quite sure how I became a contributor or started writing posts. <laughs> <laughs> I love when you showed up. I was like, yeah, he's got a whole thing going on over there. And, but yeah. I will say if there is anybody that wants to contribute to a global community or wants to, and it doesn't have to be global. I mean, you can write about your local. That's it. Local. Yeah. It's about, it's about sharing your story, yeah, right? Exactly. To the world. If anybody does want, I mean, I think it's as simple as getting in touch with you, going to the website, saying I want to be a contributor and, yeah. and, and start doing something. Um, but I mean, but it's, all, it's already because you've created this network other people listening now can tap into your network actually by just sort of getting involved because Absolutely. once you say i'm a contributor on theater art life it's like oh well la 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 <laughs> <laughs> um amazing okay and this is just one question i throw in at the end that's just for fun is there anything you want to ask me what's been the most favorite thing about you starting uh, artistic finance what's been your highlight all right my highlight is that like you i'm not a performer and um, I, I literally practice like speaking in public and stuff to do this podcast. And if you go back and you listen to the first ones, you're like, "Ooh, Ethan is uptight. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even so, I have I make an outline for every single episode. I'm not comfortable being in front of the camera, in front of the mic, et cetera, et cetera. But I found that by doing that, um, I've gotten more work because I'm putting myself out there, even though I'm doing it from the comfort of this. Like we're at LDI, but we're in a room mm. like no one else is just in you here. and me. It's just you and me <laughs> chatting. It's a very relaxed environment. That I can do fine. But then putting it out in public and promoting myself, and I do it through the guise of promoting artistic finance, but because I'm linked to it. So I think that's been like my biggest sort of surprise and reward is the fact that I've gotten work from it. Like people contact me and say, oh, do you want to do this? And it has been, there's been so much work available after pandemic that I have said no to a lot of things, mm. but it's really nice to say no. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really, so I, so I guess it's the same thing that you get out of theater art life. It's like this network that has been created for me just because I'm getting involved. Mm. Like I'm doing something for the community. Um, if people have something they want to talk about, they can reach out to me and say, let's, let's do an episode on this, the important topic. Like let's talk about it because people need to know. So doing that has benefited me. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I wanted to just say to, to add to that, because I think I'm in a, such admiration, because it is hard to go from somebody that works in the shadows, to a person that speaks and, and stands in front of people, because it's not in our nature. And I'm very happy when I see people who are in the backstage space, advocate for the arts from that space. And I'm so I'm, I'm just saying I'm super impressed. And I'm glad you're here with us. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, Anna, Rob, I will let you get back to the rest of the conference. And you have a session. Coming yeah, I've got to get on the floor now. I'm going to yeah, see yeah, some you people. Gotta run to a conference. <laughs> um, thank you so much for taking some time and, and joining me. You're most welcome, Ethan. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode. My takeaways are Anna has a lot of grit to have kept theater art life running for six years. An article a day for six years. Very impressive. Now, the small team of five that is required to maintain the site, this is a lesson to me on artistic finance. In order to grow, I'm going to have to remove myself from most of the day-to-day -day operations. I can't be editing publishing, and running the social media, I need to systematize so that I can focus on creating content and growing the resources. Now, Five is a small team, but if you check out Theater Art Life's website, you'll be very impressed with how much great content they have. 
the financial viability of six or more years of operation. She mentioned 30,000 Australian dollars. Now that's a lot of money to put into something, and it's more than I've sunk into artistic finance, but it's a necessary step, and Anna put quite a bit in early on that's been compounding. A very important factor is that she's made it financially viable. So she hasn't turned a profit to return the money that she put in, but the system is paying for itself day to day. Collaborations for Anna often involve content exchange for ads. She's not getting paid to run the ads, but she's getting free content and or she's able to post other places. Thinking about artistic finance, I need to figure out what content or ads that I can offer to companies in exchange for cross-promotion. And of course, the goal of cross-promotion being that more listeners find their way to artistic finance and those listeners find our content helpful and they tell others, or maybe they bring us content or become patrons or become sponsors. Now, this circles back to something that Nicole, our producer, talks about all the time, and that is forming a team so that we can focus on growth and value rather than using all of our energy to record the interviews and get them out to the public. Now, that's important because that's the core thing that we do. That's the one reliable thing that we do. But we need to make a way for that to happen weekly while figuring out how to grow the show. Now, that ties into my final takeaway, which is the importance of mentors for different areas of the business. I've gone the road alone for this podcast. We did have one trial with a podcast coach, and that didn't work out. However, there are specialists in every area, and I need to chat with them to help move artistic finance to the next level so that more freelancers can avoid financial mistakes and find the answers to the financial questions that they have. Do you have anything to add to the conversation? Even though I was asking questions for artistic finance, was this useful to you? Please email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com and let me know what you thought. If you're enjoying the show, please consider becoming a patron. You'll get access to our bonus content for as little as $3 a month, or you can pay annually, which starts at $34 a year. You can sign up at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. I would love to have you join our ranks. Now, if you aren't ready to become a patron, that's perfectly wonderful. You can still help me out by subscribing to the show on YouTube or on your podcast app. Even if you don't plan to listen each week, subscribing will put our new episodes into your feed so that you can see the titles that interest you. If you have your phone set to auto-download the show each week, that puts us higher in the rankings, even if you aren't actually listening each week. Of course, we want you to listen, but I'm just saying that there are benefits for us if you subscribe. But regardless of whether you're a patron or you're subscribed or you tell somebody about the show, thank you for listening and being here today. Now, one final thank you to Ayrton Digital Lighting for their support in getting us to LDI this year. Thank you to Ellen for inviting Artistic Finance to record an episode at LDI for two years in a row and for inviting us back for 2023. And of course, thank you to Anna Robb for taking time out of the conference to chat with us about theater art life. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. 
Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.